0: start, actually, yeah, I would like to start by saying that precisely because you know, uh, Rasmus and I talked about this seminar we were looking for some very constructive feedbacks and because it's a work in progress, so it's important, you know, for us it's very important. So, uh, just start by saying that, um, in his follow um, address to the country, President Eisenhower famously warned us, and the US actually, about its military-industrial complex. And it was a phrase designed to convey the way in which vested corporate interest, and uh, very often military interest, wielded power through informal and formal political relationships, and therefore undermined the proper conduct of democracy. And so given that today um, as the exercise of power, political power, lays increasingly um, on uh, cultural hegemony and uh, as the struggle for political power is fought to control uh, of usually over the airways, uh, newsprint and cyberspace, um, we think that we can uh, really uh, term the the twenty first se- century, the twenty first century equivalent um, as a media industrial complex. And and so we think that both the UK and the Italian case can offer indeed two very different examples of how the exercise of unchecked, highly concentrated and dominant media power can serve to undermine the proper contours of democracy. In much the same way, um, in one case of course to the exploitation of corporate media to exercise power from outside the government and of course I'm re- referring to the UK case and in the other one through exploitation of corporate media and later on public media to obtain and then exercise power from within the government. So this paper and this presentation briefly aims uh, to define what we think could be uh, framed as a media industrial complex, and um, and uh, discuss also the development uh, um, that can be illustrated by the emergence within Italy and the UK of the two of the most prominent and political powerful media empires in the Western world. So we want to uh, with this presentation first really define um, what are in our view the, the components, and as you can see from this slide, um, we consider the excessive media. A concentration in the end of one media cancun in both cases as the, the relevant factor that uh, indeed leads to excessive economic and business power um, to an excessive cultural power and therefore an influence on the whole uh, framing of the national conversation and political power, and then we, um, as you know, as a, a sort of an operational uh, consequence, um, um, what we f- we framed and we defined as neo feudalism, and uh, we will go into into this in a moment. Um, so. Just to start with Italy, and to start with the first and the main component on the media industrial complex, which is the media concentration. We, we know that at the time uh, of um, him being prime minister, he controlled 80% of Italian free to air television Um, but it's relevant to remember that just twenty percent of the population in Italy reads newspapers that's twenty twenty-five percent and he's um, the main shareholders of Italy's largest magazine publisher Mondadori that controls about the fifteen percent of the market and we can um, like in terms of the revenues he controlled um, about sixty percent of the television advertising market um, and of course, the main film distribution networks. Um, on top of this, it was and it still is still in control of one of the country's most important newspapers, Il Giornale. And, um, and so this is the, the, the first and most relevant component, okay, okay in the media industrial complex. And uh, we see the other factors as factors that come um, after and as a consequence of the media concentration. And here we, we have the UK situation, Steven.
1: you well, we talk about, about Murdoch. Oh well, I think that I think his dominance is, is fairly well Then understood. Certainly until the close of the news of the world. He controlled thirty-seven percent of the national newspaper market. It's now uh, I think thirty-four percent with the sun on Sunday, rather than thirty-second. And interestingly, Ed Miliband has said this afternoon that uh, this is a really interesting development from the Labour Party. Uh, that they are now arguing that anything over 30% is too high. So there is an effective implication that the Labour Party is taking itself back to the position of the 1980s, where it is effectively calling for some kind of divestment. Uh, So that's newspapers. And then, um, uh, and this is in a country where, let's not forget, that actually almost uniquely throughout the world, with with, the possible exception of Japan, there is a very strong national newspaper culture for all sorts of economic and, and, and cultural reasons, but national newspaper readership is, is, is very high, despite the fact that it's declining year on year by 3 or 4%. It still remains very high. And I think, in terms of its agenda setting power, that's actually quite important. B Sky V, let us not underestimate, uh, £1 billion of profit per year it is returning. It is now. Its turnover is now close to and may even have overtaken the combined turnover of ITV, Channel 4 and Channel 5, i.e. the three big turnover broadcasters. So in terms of its dominance, in terms of wealth of of, of the broadcasting market, that's huge. Um, and in terms no, of the
0: media concentration,
1: yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think we can skip through this. This is just this is basically news Corp's worldwide business. Um, Was it? It's thirty three million. Yes. so in Dollars. Yeah. Dollars. Yeah.
0: Oh, it's dollars, yeah. Right, okay.
1: So cable satellite TV broadcasting publishing um, direct broadcast satellite etc. Um, let's not forget also in terms of the UK, it is now I think I might say the fourth largest. ISP. So it's the in in terms of, of gateways, if you like, informational gateway, it is and it is coming up on the rails.
0: Yeah, and actually, as to, to, to go back to Italy, we wanted to show in this slide the, how the Berlusconi empower, in, uh, empire through um, Fininvest has actually managed to diversify its business because it's not really just uh, um, what we always consider as the media power, the media dominant power, but also the business and financial power of this uh, conglomerate. So you see that Mediaset, uh, of course, controls the television, commercial um, sector, but also the cinema, also uh, the you know 60% of Mondadori which is the most important publishing uh, company then you have uh, Mediolano so the the the, the insurance uh, market and also in AC Milan you know the uh, football and sport market and Entertainment with the Teatro Manzoni. So that is to frame the media industrial complex also as uh, um, um, the, the, the economic and business power, as uh, the power that allowed these two mid tycoons actually and these two uh, big conglomerates to be able to diversify in terms of their financial and communication tools, because uh when it was relevant and it w- when it was needed they were able bo- in both the country to influence uh different type of actors simultaneously and uh, and as you know and this is a quote from Castells also to provide propaganda or cash depending on the needs of political actors and we find this very le- relevant and uh, and now we have some examples from the UK
1: um. Yeah, I, I mean, so what we're doing now is we're talking about essentially four centres of power. Um, economic power, political power, cultural power, and, 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 and what we call the new feudalism, the way in which it actually operates. Um, and, and, and so what we're trying to do is to, if you like, uh, um, dissect the sources of um, what power is and what it leads to so in terms of, of 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 economic power and obviously these are interlinked so they're not they're they're they're, they're conceptually um di- uh, distinct but in practice obviously there are huge overlaps um so by you, one of the things that mojo is very good at and, and it's just, it absolutely astonished me that in his evidence he sa- he actually said i can't remember the exact words i never used my business what was it i never used my I never used my newspapers to promote my business, that's right, or worse that effect, which is just unbelievable. Um, looking at the history, looking at the empirical evidence, um, because historically there are so many examples of him doing just that. New product launches, price pricing innovations, um, to uh, publicize major sporting contracts or new Hollywood movies, but not only promoting his own media products, but at the same time, deliberately either excluding the right of rivals or competitors, or um, uh, doing them down. So it's exploiting media products in that sense. And just as an example, the obvious one is the launch of Sky, and it's obvious because, first of all, anyone who was reading newspapers at the time could see it, page after page of promotion. Sky, as we know from the various biographies, and Shawcross is the best uh, is the best source. Sky was going to make or break Murdoch's worldwide empire. Not just here, but around the world. And of course he's going to use his five newspapers to promote it because his whole business empire was being bet on this launch. Um, And in fact, there was work done by the European Institute for the Media in Manchester in 1989, uh, which is not often quoted. but uh, I have it and it's perfectly good work. And it demonstrated there was seven times as much space devoted to BSB, uh, to Sky, than to the rival BSB compared to other newspapers. Before that, in the Times, the the newspaper, which apparently there is no editorial influence over, three consecutive editorials opposing a rise in the BBC license fee. The only previous time in the Times' history when there had been three consecutive editorials on the same subject, was on appeasement in the run-up to the Second World War. Um, so, uh, yeah, editorial, uh, no editorial intervention. And of course, again, if you read any of the, the, the news core newspapers, um, one of the consistent themes throughout has been a, a vehement hostility to the BBC, to the idea of a, of a license fee and, and, and the idea of, of, of what the BBC does and what it represents. Interesting. Sorry, no. I was just going to say, do you want feedback along the way? Uh, yeah. It probably helps to break it up. Yeah. Go. go yeah. Another good yeah. source for more of this, as you develop this into your articles and such things, look at the conference calls that they have with analysts, <laughs> and they specifically talk about this things like this other one. The conference, okay.
0: the conference call. Okay. Conference call. Corporations. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Every they quarter, do. get together with financial analysts right. and talk okay. about it. and those. Or they're on the record, on yeah. the record ah, because legally they have to be under
0: under securities regulations, and they have these conference talking about their grand strategies yeah. and how they're going to do things like use one media mm-hmm. to promote the
1: other and how that creates the, creating the cross this yeah. So, I have no idea so it. right. That's why I just wanted it. It gives you more strength as you're developing. No, no, absolutely. More contemporary. This is great because so. actually
0: we'll, um, we we yeah. looked for the data, you know, about the different yeah. the the different business in which. You which know, News Corporation is involved, and you know we looked at the data uh, through the website of News Corporation, yeah. where also these conference yeah. calls are always yeah, And they are, are transcribed, Yeah, so, exactly. So it's and and, they, and they specifically talk about how they're going to achieve these synergies
1: between different products. But it's a wonderful example. I mean, I still marvel at the way he can sit there for six hours under oath and say, but we never use, uh, anyway, uh, um, a- another example, and I think this is actually an, un- an underestimated example of the way in which uh, economic power is exercised, is the way in which the, the regulatory process is manipulated. Uh, and again, there are a number of examples, James Burdock's Metagat Lecture specifically talked about the need to reign in Ofcom. Um, By I understand from informal conversation that last year alone, News Corp News, uh, News Cor- spent a hundred million pounds, essentially throwing money at Ofcom to fight the various uh, competition uh, issues that Ofcom had raised on a number of different fronts, a hundred million pounds. There is one city firm of litigation solicitors which they've effectively bought up. Um, so, and, and, and one of the successes of B Sky B that's led to it is the monopoly of premium sports rights. And of course, they've now bought up, they have exclusive rights to HBO programming and the big six Hollywood studios. They've got uh, rights to, the, um, to subscription, first show of, of, of subscription movies. The, in 2006, overnight, uh, they bought up 17.9% of ITV shares and then spent the best part of three years fighting off the competition authorities. There was only one reason for that, which was to stop Virgin buying ITV, because that would have been a very dangerous combination for B-Sky B. There was no possible reason for it. They must have known and been advised that in the end they were going to be ordered to sell down their shares. And they did, and they had to write off I can't remember how many millions of, of, of dollars as a result, but it was absolutely worth it because it got rid of the threat from uh, from Virgin. Yeah. Uh, this is and a, again, it's uh, They said, quote from my evidence to let Yes, right. But
0: then we're moving to, towards the, the other component, you know, that of course we see as uh, coming actually from the mere concentration, so it's another, yeah. another the cultural component. Um, the cultural power.
1: What we're trying to do is, as I said, distinguish between the economic and the culture. And I think, again, it's it's quite important to try and induce empirical evidence of the way in which these media barons actually try and influence the nature of content. Um, And I've given uh, a couple of examples here, both from America, because I think, in a sense, the UK is easy if you look at the sun. Um, but again, an example, a couple of examples from. Uh, from well, first example from Shawcross, who says that he, when he bought up for the Fox Network, he launched those two programmes, the current affair America's most wanted. America at the point at that time, as I understand it, was not used to that level of violent content. Uh, and Shawcross says quite specifically he was doing for America with Fox what he had done for the British with the Sun. Uh, Fox News, similarly, uh, there is certainly a. a um, a lot of evidence from the states, that by introducing a, an unapologetic right-wing news channel, um, having, uh, ban- uh, uh, Reagan having abolished um, the, um, uh, the fairness doctrine, that that has actually shifted the centre, the political centre, certainly within, uh, within television. Um, so what you have is a distinct corporate culture which is then reflected in areas of editorial and cultural output, shaping ideas, opinions and knowledge. And of course, as everyone knows, as all media scholars know from the age of three, you cannot prove it. You know, effect studies in this area are notoriously unreliable. Uh, but all, I, I think what you have to look at is the way in which editorial and cultural content, content is itself shaped. And to some extent I think you do need to presuppose an impact on what we call the national conversation
0: but actually we, we, we saw this this cultural hegemony of course like in the case of Italy and um, I, I i was just um, i was re- referring to one of the last uh, book actually that's been published here by mancini you know, about Berlusconi and know, uh, and um, and and um, and the way really in which uh, um, he behaved as a leader but also he brought this um, really strong consumer culture in Italy and he changed really a bit the cultural ethos of a country uh, where also our authors like Mazzolini Milano developed uh, the idea of a political pop and so you know it changed politics in politics pop also so uh, also the the fact that he brought you know show business uh, to uh, the homes of Italians you know has really changed um, the, the cultural ethos of the country and we see um, we can see this through all his you know um, shows the TV shows that have never been launched you know before the 80s in Italy and have been brought by Berlusconi, and they have been brought also abroad because, he, in a sense, he colonized also the cultural idols of Spain a bit. And so, if you see what happened also where, um, with Telefingo, you know, you see um, a, a similar type of culture, and television culture, developing. And uh, but given uh, his, um, his um, conflict of interest, that is something that differentiates really the the UK case from the, the Italian case, because um, after he reached power uh, for the first time. 1994. I mean, he was uh, he was able to reach a power that uh, was uh, so much beyond, you know, because it was emerged really political and, and media power. And at that point, his business and uh, financial power was not as important as the media and political power that he was um, was in control of. And uh, we see that also through uh, this media and political power, he has been able really to to also stress and even 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 further develop this. Cultural pop culture that really we um, that many authors really in Italy uh, refer already to, to 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 Berlusconi Berlusconi coming in in the political Italian scene um, through of course is television and precisely because television has been so important uh, for media compa- com- consumption and uh, but I don't want, um, let's let's move to the other like component of the media industrial complex which is the political
1: uh, yeah, uh, but, uh, one yeah. We'll move on to political just before that, just one more point. I, I think it's something that actually we probably need to develop. So this idea of the show business approach to cultural output, I think is quite interesting. Um, and there is an argument there about the extent to which competitive forces automatically drive content to uh, is the old kind of tabloidization argument um, or, or is it? The, the individual impact of particular um, media barons or proprietors I think that's an interesting question um, cult, uh, right politics which is uh, let's go through this fairly quickly I talked about when we talk about this is where sort of cultural and political impacts sort of um, coincide. I think the debate on Europe in this country is a very good example of how the nature of that debate has effectively been framed by murder with others, but I think he actually takes an awful lot of responsibility for the way in which that debate is framed. This is just one example uh, just before Margaret Thatcher's demise in 1990. Um, front page headline, The Sun today calls on his patriotic family of readers to tell the filthy French to frog off. And if you show them the actual right. headline... Up yours, the laws, and that was very much a sort of a, a, a narrative that came out through the sun, through the eighties and and the nineties, and then in nineteen ninety two you've got yeah. the famous headline, um, uh, basically Neil Kinnock's okay. head in a light bubble on the, on the day of the nineteen ninety two general election, which Labour lost. Now, if you go on to the next slide, the interesting thing about this, um, Oh, this is the other, oh, one. yeah, no, sorry, yeah. That's not the right one. Mm. What I wanted to say, because I was actually very much involved in in the Labour Party at the time. and So this is a sort of, to some extent, a personal reflection. That it actually doesn't matter whether those headlines and what The Sun did actually influence voters. That is not the issue. The fact is that within the Labour Party, there was an absolute conviction that the negative coverage of the Sun day after day in the run-up to that election had lost Labour the election. And that for the party to win power, essentially, they were going to have to convince Murdoch. Um, and in 1996, the Conservative Party brought forward proposals for mild deregulation of cross-media ownership rules, keeping a restriction, essentially, on use core. law. Um, <coughs> I was at a meeting as, as an informal Labour Party advisor, when I was told actually Labour's policy is going to be to advocate all uh, complete abolition, of all controls and this policy directive has come from the top and we were kind of open mouth with astonishment. But it was pure political pragmatism. If you yes. go on to the next one, um, some examples, Lance Price, this is a quote from Lance Price who worked with Alistair Campbell in Downing Street at times um, Rupert Murdoch seemed like the 24th member of the cabinet, no big decision could ever be made without taking account of the likely reaction of three men, Gordon Brown, John Prescott and Rupert Murdoch. Mm-hmm. Jonathan Powell, Blair's chief of staff, said last year, we remained in opposition for 18 years in part because we had no protection from the unremitting onslaught of the Tory tabloids. Trying to pick off at least some of them was a sensible strategy. If go on to the next one. Yeah, no one, they
0: took the media policy.
1: This is a sort of, uh, yeah okay, to what extent have, have, has News Corp influenced uh, Labour's media policy, actually my answer is not very much. Which is counterintuitive. I think actually there is a clear industrial strategy there. But let's move on. I don't think that's
0: no. What, um, what we we forgot because it was the, the slide that we we actually um, inserted very recently. Oh, yeah. Are the as these emails this is quite fascinating. You know um, yeah. that really demonstrates that um, they they were seeking really uh, to know um, what was the positioning. You know of News International um, before. Taking a decision uh, within uh, Downing Street, so I think that this email was, uh, of course, this one. This is one of the the, the email um, uh, from the evidence um, um, from the Leveson inquiry, and uh, and we find this very, very, very key also because we because of the way you know media policy can be influenced and as indeed, you know, starting to be an influence. And uh, but also the other key is that not only media policy is always influenced. So from today, you know, from the, the Levison Inquiry and the, uh, the Sir John Major actually. Um, this was extraordinary. Uh, I mean
1: evidence this was I mean this this was something that Major had written in his book but but had never elaborated to this effect. And um, and you could see there was there was there was actually an intake of breath in the court when he said that said it this morning. Uh, when he said that Rupert Murdoch said to him he didn't like my European policies and he wanted me to change and if I didn't, his papers would not support the Conservative government so it's an absolutely straight threat
0: no for us it's so very important also really to, to to have this data from the and inquiry because you know what what i find a bit more difficult uh, sometimes is to find the same quote in italy because you know you have fantastic yeah you have fantastic uh, really interviews or um, uh, books written by journalists but not so many and very often are not so daring so i'm um, i'm really thinking of doing uh, interviews with some sources and guarantee them anonymity because um, it's important for them to be anonymous, so it's a, it's a very different situation. I think that we are really it's 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 a first time that uh, in this country we have really this great opportunity to have all this exchange of emails and to have and and for us as you know uh, scientists I think it's a great chance really to, to give evidence and to, to so it's um so just to to give you some examples instead from Italy of the the the, really the, the political power and how the media industrial complex influenced the the, the political power. We know that since the start of the Berlusconian power and the Berlusconian Empire in the 80s, Influenced government policy making precisely also because he was a very, very close ally and friend of the then Prime Minister um, Bettino Craxi in the 80s. And also, um, uh, given that he helped him, you know, securing his majority and uh, he helped him um, uh, at the the government, what happened was that um, the first thing that Bettino Craxi did was to help him securing his um, new commercial media monopoly, that he started building, as we, we you might know, through first the local monopolies, and then um, and then through the, the first uh, Mammy Law, um, that was in 1993, he guaranteed that it, that had, it had legal power and it, had, um, it was uh, really, for the first time, recognized and justified by the law. So it was the first law that really recognized the commercial monopoly of Berlusconi, that was back already, in 1993 and uh, and of course since 1994 because it was Already in power, he had no problem in influence the media policy agenda. So, so we are really a step far beyond, beyond the UK case here because he was, of course, in charge of any change of the media policy. And the Law is one of the most significant example um, of the way he really um, tried to secure uh, his monopoly, even even despite um, the cost, um, court, the Constitutional Court, the Corte Costituzionale. Know, in Italy that since 1988 declared that the monopoly was unconstitutional and uh, and despite also uh, the claims and the, the complaints actually now also to the European uh, court of human rights um, by uh, another uh, commercial competitor that wanted a license and was never given a license and this is also true of the current digital television situation because in fact the Gaspari law helped uh, really um, guarantee the monopoly even beyond even even during the digital transition mm. and uh, and instead uh, because it was used as a justification of uh, okay we will uh, you know given that we have a digital uh, new digital Plan, there is no problem with, um, with plurality anymore, and therefore we can justify and keep consolidating the media, the commercial power of Berlusconi. And even now they are delaying. Even even farther the um, the, um, the so-called um, duty contest the, um, and so um, duty contest. So it's it's very very difficult to to see in the end about the, the frequency allocation yet what's going to happen. But and, you know, and they have to decide and they have to deliver by the end of 2012. But even with Monty now, we can see that he doesn't really have the power to deliver also the plan yet because the majority of the parliament is still controlled by Berlusconi and because the, the media uh, department is still really controlled by Berlusconi loyal friends and actually um, this is also part of the, the last Bit of the media industrial complex, which is um, the the idea of the new feudalism that we can discuss briefly. But I just wanted to give you this is a very interesting study that has been just published about, um, and I found it interesting because this come this is coming and it was sent to me by an economist, you know, in the in, the, in the department of economics in, in Rome, and he found uh, really that there is this connection between propaganda and trust in television, and that was the strongest in his analysis predictor of trust in the Italian. Prime Minister and that was spring 2011 and uh, I found this fascinating because it's always as we said difficult to find this correlation between uh, really the the media effects on trust but in this case they they, they managed really to find um, the predictor of trust in the Italian Prime Minister what yeah. did he find he found basically that there is a connection between um, the um, the television um, coverage and the way the they propaganda machine you know of especially commercial network but also the public television because as we know after being in power, Berlusconi was not just controlling the commercial network, but also the public television, and they found that um, the audience, you know, the way the public was um, uh, giving credit to Berlusconi um, uh, was really connected with the trust that they gave uh, to the television coverage. So they believed in television as a, as a tool of delivery, of, a, you know, an image of Berlusconi that for, for them was credible and meant to, to be trusted, in, in a way, to be trusted. So, um, and also, as we can see, and we want to, because we know that um, we don't have much time now. So, um, the the other component that we've seen uh, in both, the, the cases is this concept of new feudalism <coughs> uh, that is this, this culture this corporate culture really of uh, loyalty and uh, and we've we'll be debating uh, actually for a long long while um, if this was in fact a factor that was that started since the very beginning or it was more of a consequence of the incredible uh, b- business and financial power of both of the empires. And we think that actually it it's more an operational factor, as we can see, and like, we can go back to this, but like, we have some quotes that are very interesting, speci- and especially from well, go the, on,
1: go on to the, the quotes, hey, hang on. Yeah, go on, go on to the next one. Mm-hmm. Come, do, do that one.
0: The Italian one?
1: No, no, the quotes from... Um,
0: no. From the uh, former director of
1: legal affairs. you got the one from... Um, the, the committee. The Ch- no, the China book, Bruce Dover. you got
0: those? I don't think oh, we yeah, put it, it there them. in the end, yeah.
1: Oh, okay, okay. Sorry. There was, there was some nice quotes about Murdoch, um, in particular, from some of his lieutenants. There's, a, I don't know how many of you know, a book by Bruce Dover uh, called mm-hmm. Rupert's Adventures in China, uh, and Dover was actually a, 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 and he's not you know, unlike Bruce Page who is utterly critical this was not a wholly critical biography of Murdoch but it was it was an insider's view and Dover was his right-hand man in China for years an insider's view of what it was like to be effectively news cause number one in a particular part of the empire which is, which is, which is where he was so it was it was absolutely from the horse's mouth um, and he used this phrase um, I can't remember it now uh, um, it, it was basically what what you do is you second guess what Murdoch wants so it's not that you are told what to do but you know almost by osmosis what you have to do to keep him happy and, and the perfect example of that is the fact that when Chris Patton wrote his memoirs um, of uh, um, his time as governor in Hong Kong, uh, which was wholly crit- very uh, widely critical of the, of the China regime, being published by Murdoch's publisher Harper Collins, but was very damaging to his potential interests in China. The chief executive of Harper Collins should have known to have actually suppressed it and said, "We're not publishing it," but he didn't. So. Murdoch was in the embarrassing position of having to do it himself, and only now, at Leveson, did he finally acknowledge it was his decision to suppress that book. He didn't. He wasn't honest about why, but he said, "Yes, okay, it was my decision to suppress the book," um, and that was simply because. And obviously, the guy got fired. The, the chief executive, of Harper Collins got fired. Um, and I think he's now running an an independent publisher. He has actually regretted it at the at the Lonesome Inquiry. The um, I d- did he actually say I I'm I i do not think he actually said I regret firing him. I think he 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 he, uh, he might have expressed a sort of mild. Regret uh, for not publishing the book, but he was essentially he was caught out. (laughs) He he was caught out. There wasn't much he could say. Um, But uh, the the point is, and and Ben and I've discussed this, and and the the question is: is the is the notion of feudalism? Is it something that is a a a kind of an operational thing, i.e., to to run a successful uh, 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 sort of vertically operated media. Uh, conglomerate, you need to establish this kind of feudal hold over those who work for you. Or is it actually something rather broader and more more, um, consequential than that, which is that it is actually one of the core roots of potential corruption. And this is the quote, this is where we get into the whole phone hacking thing Um, and sort of um, corporate culpability. And this is the quote um, which sort of establishes that from the Culture, Media and Sports Select Committee's uh, report that uh, came out last month, uh, talking about, A, the fact that News International misled the committee about what was really going on. They made statements that they would have known were not fully truthful uh, and they failed to disclose a document that would have helped to expose the truth. And this is the crucial bit. Their instinct throughout was to cover up rather than seek out wrongdoing and discipline the perpetrators. And that's something that clearly was was part of a corporate culture. That was designed to cement that sense of corporate power.
0: Yeah, and really, what really struck me, for instance, coming from Italy, because of the because we all read the Lalli Mancini model, we all know about the concept of clientelism. We all know about uh, uh, how difficult it is not to have you know, like media that are partisan. And they are partisan, and they talk about this cultural, you know, um, in Italian. So, um, and it's uh, what really impressed me about the UK case and what we find that it was so relevant is the fact that these people were prepared to lie in front of the Parliament, for instance, and it's something that is really um, not expected from a so-called the so-called liberal model, you know, and where the UK belongs. And in fact, this culture of uh, loyalties and very high remuneration has been. Uh, uh, a very very important factor characterizing the Beluscon Empire because since the very beginning he brought you know uh, some of his loyal um, employees uh, first uh, that were working for him in his construction building and they started working for Fininvest, and very often they they moved to Publi Italia and then in the end they became m p very often and very very often close advisors and uh, at the government and uh, and so so we can see that this culture is really. Um, uh, in Italy, because of the conflict of interest, uh, you not only expect from the employees uh, a certain kind of behavior, the behavior that leads to cover up, that leads to lie uh, at the Parliament, but also from your MPs that really operates as your uh, loyal employees, and there is no no distinction between them. But of course, this is a, a bit of a difference between the two models. But we can see this is called cult culture, um, corporate culture is is present in both the cases. That's why we found it very interesting. And we we're about to conclude, so don't, don't worry, Rasmus. We are, um, this is the last slide. And uh, and we have also some, some questions for you, for you because we, we think that actually this idea of the mid-industrial complex uh, uh, challenges the the Halle mancini model. Um, because uh, we could argue, we could ask, um, and then wonder what happens to the uh, liberal model of media politics when the media industrial complex developed, um, specifically in North American and liberal countries like the UK, and uh, and uh, our suggestion was of course that we need a policy intervention and you know if you want to uh, highlight some ideas we have many. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but I I, mean, I think it's probably a good, good place to stop. But I think that you know the the, the conclusion, if you like, is that. And, and one of the things we were saying on the way here is that there is always a danger that this sort of analysis looks back rather than looks forward. But actually, I think it becomes more important to understand the nature of these burgeoning empires, why, why they're powerful uh, and, and why it's important to intervene, because the business models, the economic business models of new media are so fragile that actually they are more vulnerable, they're more susceptible to this kind of potentially corrupt process unless there are political interventions to facilitate media plurality and to prevent uh, concentration.
0: Yeah, and given that we are very keen on making comparison and, and trying really to... Uh, I've been uh, thinking for the last couple of weeks of a, a remark by Robert, <laughs> actually, like about two weeks ago about how to extend and the possibility of really um, extend this model uh, to France. Does it work, for example, in France? Uh, do we see a similar pattern or... And for me, actually, what um, um, what is one of the main differences is that here we see a model that resisted for 30 years, and we see like two different media tycoons that resisted for 30 years. And while we see, of course, some big industrial mogul also in France and also in Spain, you know, also in other Southern European the reality, what we think really links both the cases is the persistence also of, the, of this cultural, political, and uh, media hegemony. So, so, this is one of the reflections I had after one of these remarks.